Welcome to the Football for 90 podcast. I'm Aaron Muniz, and this week Michael Nazarian can't make it because he's away, but the show must go on. We really want to get these episodes out for you guys, so we're going to be talking about the Champions League today. As usual, I'm joined by Alex Collings. Alex, want to say hi to everyone? How's it? Uh, good to be here again, um, even without Michael. So yeah, looking forward to a one-on-one sort of discussion without Mike, Mikey shutting us up. Yeah, no more American accent yeah, on, on the Football for 90 podcast. <laughs> um, but, 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 but with that said, we'll get right into it. We're going to start with Sporting versus Man City because I think it was probably the most boring of the four games. Um, yeah, Man City are great. What's new? Alex, do you think it's Man City's year for the Champions League? Um, I mean, I think the thing is with the Champions League, I've kind of thought it was their year for like the past two years. Um if I'm thinking right. But, yeah, let me say so. I think they're the best team in the world. I think they have a better shot than anyone else. I kind of have a feeling Pep is doing, trying to do less big-brained kind of stuff in the big games he's played so far this season. So, And that's honestly been a... I mean, I know we always speak about like variants and he's been unlucky, but I think that's also been a big thorn in his side, trying to galaxy brain like beyond like the yeah. realms of where you should be galaxy braining. So I do think, and especially actually on, on that note with Rodri, I think he's really taken a step up this season. I think that they are, I'd call them the favorites. I think they're the best team in the world. Um, the only two teams that I really think are also massive contenders, I'd say Bayern and then I'd say Liverpool. And then, you know, the likes of PSG, Real Madrid, you never know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I pretty much agree. I think City are the best team in the world. Um, I, I I thought they showed it in this game, not necessarily because they were amazing, but because I don't even think they were that great for their standards. I've watched a lot of City this season. Um, I don't know how much of this game you caught because we kind of agreed that it wouldn't be one that we would talk about in great detail. But yeah, I mean, once Mara scored in the seventh minute, it was pretty much smooth, smooth sailing from there. Do you have any thoughts? Uh, yeah, it was pretty much just dominant city. Um, it's almost a bit depressing because sporting uh, Ruben Amarim has a very good reputation as a defensive coach. And then, you know, you see their, their sides getting picked apart 5-0. His side getting picked apart 5-0. So, yeah, but I mean, that that is a that is pretty much, you know, a good reflection of how good City are. Um them and Bayern have been the dominant teams in the competition so far. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, just really quickly, I I wanted to give some flowers to Ruben Adarim for actually getting Sporting this far in the in the Champions League because they, they knocked Dortmund out. Um, I know Dortmund got kind of embarrassed by Rangers early in the Europa League this week, but I thought I thought um, Adarim... I, I I mean, you kind of knew it was coming when they drew what I believe is, like we said, the best side in the competition. But it it feels like they... Um, I mean, I it was my first time watching Sporting this season, and I, and I 
I've heard they've been really good under Anarim, but I, I I felt that you could see why sort of they got this far in the competition, even though they got battered, because it seemed like they tried to sort of 50-50 this game a little bit with City and and try and get some spells of possession. And usually when you try to do that, get that against City, they're just better than you and you get blitzed. And that felt like it was exactly what happened. Um, I thought I thought five nil was a little bit harsh, to be honest. Um, the the first Bernardo goal was ridiculous, and then the Sterling goal was somehow topped it. And then there was also a deflected goal. I think City ended up at like two xg, um, and more than half of that was from the two open goals that they scored. So, yeah, I mean, Sporting's done, but I I think this is a pretty good showing for them and and something to build on at least. Yeah, um, well, I think yeah, it depends what depends what you want to take away from that. I think I I meant the, I meant sorry, sorry, I meant this season, not like not this specific five nil drubbing. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. <laughs> he's starting to speak like Pep because he said what they're not out the tie yet. <laughs> I mean, come on, Sporting are very good. Very good. <laughs> but yeah, no, I think. Yeah, I don't have much more to comment because I think it's City doing City stuff. I don't, I, it's the one I looked at least analytically of the of the ones because we did agree we weren't going to spend too much time speaking about how good City are. We can do that any other week. Um, except tonight. Yeah. Thank God. Um, for those we're recording now, Spurs just kind of, I don't know how much think they, they won against City. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah that's funny i mean we we said we were going to record after the spurs game and i had the stat in hand that city have won 19 of their last 21 games uh with one draw against southampton and a loss against rb leipzig yeah, that didn't matter December. because they had already won their champions league group when they battered psg so now it's 19 wins in 22 i guess with uh with harry kane defying xg to to worsen their record um but it, it they still look kind of unstoppable i mean i think seven times out of ten they win that spurs game as well and i i think they're going to continue steamrolling everyone um and it's going to take a, a spurs like luck plus uh good finishing performance to to take them down you, you never rule it out because it's happened like five years in a row now but that's what it's going to take i think yeah i agree i mean i think yeah the discussion with them is not so much the tie because it's done um, yeah, it's basically whether they win it. And I think, yeah, I think with, with Champions League, you don't really have a clear shot at who, you can't really clearly say who's going to win it. No one was going to say Chelsea were gonna, was going to win it last, last season at this point. Um, but yeah, I think they have the best shot of anyone. They're, they're the ones I've tipped since the beginning of the season. And yeah, I think I'll stay that way. Also with Bayern kind of looking a little shaky at the moment, which we'll probably get onto later. Yeah, it just makes me more confident that. Yeah, okay, on that note, I think we've exhausted the City discussion, so I'm going to move to our next game, which is PSG versus Real Madrid. Um, honestly, I thought this game was my favorite to watch, personally. I thought PSG were really good for long stretches of this game. A really good game to validate our hypothesis that City, or sorry, not City, PSG might be better with uh, two of the Neymar, Mbappe, Messi trio instead of three because I thought they were really quite good out of possession, made things difficult for Madrid. What did you think? Yeah, just to, just to add on that, I think we've spoken about it, you know, previously, but I think I completely agree with you on the the Messi, uh, Neymar, and Mbappe point. Except now you see it with um with Demure, you kind of need someone who's actually gonna 
take the initiative to lead that press. Um, of course, I think Real Madrid kind of came to go away with a draw. Um, but I think you still saw a massive difference. You still see nothing from Messi. Um, he's, he's never going to come to the party in terms of pressing. Um, and Mbappe, yeah, I think he's more willing. But I mean, yeah, he's never... I don't think he's, he's really there to press either. Um... But yeah, I think what I really enjoyed about that game actually is I don't think Messi had the best game. I mean, I still think he was good, um, but not great. Yeah. Uh, kind of shadowed by, um, uh, outshone by Verratti a bit. Um, <laughs> yeah, kind of. They were doing similar stuff. Um, but yeah, I think what I really enjoyed is kind of the almost, I would say like it's almost like a melting pot that Poch kind of tried to create with that dominance where they had both wing backs sitting so high. And then sort of Di Maria, uh, Messi in like free rolls, even Verratti as he's coming forward, and then kind of Mbappe as the as like the, the outlet that they were trying to get to or trying to find in the box it was really really, really interesting. I think if Messi was having a better game, you know, one of those games where he runs through people, I think they would have torn um, Real Madrid apart quite a lot more than they actually did. I quite liked, I quite liked that tactic. Um, I think also a big a big plus to both centre backs had had fantastic games um, versus Mbappe versus Messi versus Di Maria. Yeah, I thought Militao and Alaba were really good. I thought they made really good decisions as well. Like I know Militao got that yellow card, but it still felt like they had a really good idea of when to stick to them, when to let them drop deep. Because, I mean, it's hard to deal with. You you don't want to you don't want to accustom yourself to the fact that Mbappe and Messi are going to keep getting t- onto the ball. But you also don't want to follow them out every time because that's going to create space in behind uh, for for either the other one or for Di Maria to exploit. And I thought they dealt with that quite well. I'm also the game. not going to lie. Like, I think often you you think about two centre-backs performing well as like a really good tactical performance. But I think both centre-backs were just acting off instinct most of the time. It was their individual quality coming through. I think they worked well with each other, but I didn't see like a... You know, they weren't they weren't holding a good deep block in terms of like the whole defense working together. It was just those two when it got in the box, they were dealing with it. Um yeah, so I think fantastic performance from them. I don't think it bodes too well on on Ancelotti's deep block, in my opinion. I think he, he benefited a lot from the quality of players he had. Um even Carval, I think he had the toughest job and he's clearly, you know, he's not at his peak anymore, but I think he did admirably. I know he got done a couple times. Oh man, that was tough. Yeah, I don't blame him. He got double teamed by by Nuno Menj playing amazingly. Um and then obviously Mbappe was was man of the match from the first minute. So I think he got done. He got a, he conceded a penalty, but I think he had an admiral match too. I think many center many right backs would have struggled in that position. Yeah, I mean, it was my first... I mean, I, I've seen Nuno Mensch play before in previous PSG games, but this was the first one where I felt he really shunned, mm. and, I mean, I, I was not expecting him to play that well. Like, he he looked like he was a, a seasoned fullback playing in his prime, and he's 19. And <laughs> yeah, I was amazed. He's scary. Um, and then in front of him, I mean, yeah, it, was, it, was, it wasn't exactly just Nuno Mensch that Carvajal was struggling with. Uh, it was also Mbappe... Talk about that Mbappe performance. That not only that goal at the end, but even if that didn't happen, just lighting Real Madrid on fire, in my opinion. Yeah. You want to you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, I think um, to be honest, he was he was by far the he just looked in a different stratosphere to everyone else um, on that pitch. And considering it's yeah. you know two Galactico teams, that says something. Um, 
obviously I think on the other side, um, the other team's superstar attacker, Benzema was like clearly a little bit hampered um, with injury. And then Vinicius was looking tired. I think he's a bit worn out. But yeah, um, Bappe was clearly, yeah, clearly up head and shoulders above everyone else, I think. Also, clearly the tactic was all pretty much just to deal with him um, the entire game. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, this is going to sound a little bit excessive, but I almost feel like he's like a modernized Messi-Ronaldo hybrid. Like, it's <laughs> it's ridiculous. Like, he was he, he can he can floor players and beat them on the dribble and then make a ridiculous pass, like, across the pitch. <laughs> and then not only that, it's like you don't want to let him on the ball, but you also don't want him running at you without the ball. Because he has, he's probably one of the fastest players on planet Earth, which is like, what are the odds that the most skillful guy on the pitch is also the fastest guy on the pitch? And then he he can run in behind you, he can he can dribble at you, he can pass the ball past you, he can cross it. He he put in a few really good deliveries with his left foot. There was one early on that I thought Di Maria should have done better with. Like, just an unbelievably well-rounded attacking player. It feels like he has everything in his toolkit and... Usually when players have everything in their toolkit, it it's it's the type of thing that is more it, it's better in your head than it is in real life because you find that there's nothing that they actually produce at a high level. But this guy's doing everything at a world class yeah. level and it's just <laughs> unbelievable to watch. He's one of those players who's put it all together, which you say he has all the tools, but he's like a well functioning machine. Um Yeah, I think and I think after watching that match that also convinced me a little bit more on PSG, maybe a little bit more on Poch. Um, in the in the sort of knockout rounds that I think they can do something. Um, but I think they should go forward with that sort of tactic um, and try create that sort of melting pot. Messi will have better games. Neymar coming in instead of Messi as that like fake CF would be great as well. Um, yeah, and I think you just have a talent like Mbappe who can win ties um in moments like that like he did right at the end um i think that is yeah i think that's psg's best shot i think they they got they chose a good team with danilo uh maybe uh interestingly um paredes didn't have the most um eye-catching game but he just kept it rolling i think you can kind of replace him with genie vinyeldum you know, he's more of a pot than he needs I don't know. To, you, you think so? I'm not sure about that one. <laughs> I thought, okay, so I mean, uh, you mentioned Neymar briefly there. I thought he had a good cameo. I mean, I, I thought that you could see the drop-off in intensity when Neymar came on for Di Maria. But yeah, I thought 100%. that his skill made it worth it in those last 20 minutes. And ultimately, I think it's what created the goal because it allowed Mbappe to isolate those two guys right at the end there um, by, by getting him on the ball and then getting him to pass it to Mbappe beyond... beyond I, I think it was... It was whoever, it, it might have been Rodrigo. But anyway, um, in terms of Paredes, I thought he was fantastic. Really? Like, I really thought, I really thought he had really good control of the game. Um, I, I looked at some numbers after, and I think he completed 94.4% of his 123 passes attempted. Okay, yeah, sure, sure. So he was like, I know, I know what you mean in the sense of, like, I don't think he had any individual actions that were, like, spectacular but i just thought throughout the game he had this level of just composure getting them out of their half constantly like adding adding to the pressure getting verati on the ball in good areas and and verati just like completely took real madrid to the sword like yeah verati was amazing dribbling passing he he had six shot assists and like 
again attempted over 100 passes and completed over 90% of them, despite having like both of them having like probably 20 plus progressive actions. Like I thought they were, I thought they ran the game. And I think playing Danilo is like a good way to get them into the game as well. I think you, you have that guy who's going to protect them a little bit and just give them that time on the ball. And yeah, I mean, if they can get that going throughout the Champions League, there's going to there's gonna be very few teams who can stop them. I think, I think that's fair. Maybe I'm doing a bit of a disservice, but I meant it more in the sense that I think someone like Genie Vinyaldum can probably do similar, right? In that sort of spot. Maybe not as progressive, but I don't think... I don't think from Perigos we saw his normal sort of progressiveness that he can do, right? That he can break lines with his passing. I think he kept it rather simple. Um, maybe I need to watch it back. Um, <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I, I always have my eye on Paradise because I just, I, I, I love his skill set and I, I think his passing ability is amazing. And I, I really do think like having him in that team helps you get the other players on the ball in advanced areas. And he has this way of, like, keeping it simple and then just mixing it up with, like, really, really accurate, progressive, wide-ranging passes, which I think yeah. is I mean, don't really get me wrong, I'm a, I'm a big Paredes fan, but yeah, fair enough. Um, yeah, fair enough then. Um, I still think Genie can kind of come in. He's also another part. I don't mean he should start over Paredes. I just mean that yeah. I think they've got a very functional midfield there with the bottom person kind of just keeping it ticking. Danilo adds a little bit more athleticism, defensive nose. Um, and then, yeah, you've got Verratti running the midfield. You've got Messi coming a little bit deeper. Um, yeah. Yeah. It feels like things are coming together a little bit for them, I think, and uh, probably at the right time as well. Um, I mean, we already said Man City are favorites, but what do you think about PSG moving forward if they can kind of keep that set up together? Do you, do you think they have a good chance? The thing is, that, like... Do you think Real Madrid can get back into this tie? They probably could. No, they they hundred percent can. They hundred percent can. I think, I don't think they're well set up for it. Um, especially, uh, we'll get to them just now, I guess. Um, well, we may as well now. Um, I think Vinicius looks tired. He doesn't look like his early season self, and I think he's just been, he's been played. Um, he's been. I think the two of them were coming off injuries as well. Him and Benzema mm. coming into this game. Thing so is, that Benzema. They, they might be Benzema sharper in, in three weeks. Yeah, Benzema was an injury sort of doubt. But I think Vinicius, coming into the game, I think Vinicius was um, obviously fit to play. Probably injury paid into it. But I think it's, he's also just been overplayed. He's lacking that sort of energy that he had um, earlier in the season. Um, the other thing about it is I, I just don't think Ancelotti's good tactically anymore. I mean, playing Asensio, it's tough. injured, yeah. Benzema and Vinicius as your sort of counter-attacking team when you're going to have... To sit, when you're planning to sit deep the whole game, and like it doesn't really make sense to me. Um, and it, yeah, I mean, I, I I think it was a good game to advocate for sort of the benefits of a manager like Poch. I don't think he's been great at PSG, but I think it really sort of came to the fore what he can offer when you give him the right tools and the right setup in comparison to a manager maybe of the last era who sort of doesn't quite have that level of drilling and organization. Even if Poch maybe isn't in the top, top tier, but... Like I, I now okay, before before we move on to the next section, here's my two questions for you. One, suggest how Real Madrid could get back into this tie if you think they can. And two, I mean, basically tell me how how good you think PSG are and how far they can go. So I think I actually think that they should go in with a similar sort of tactic. I think obviously now they, they have to be the ones trying to yeah. 
trying to create something, the protagonists of the next match, essentially, right? Because they're, they're a goal behind. But I think if they go to gung-ho, I think, P- I think Mbappe is going to burn them. Um, and I think the whole team is set up brilliantly to catch them on the counter. Oh, yeah. Especially if Poch goes in with the same tactics and the same setup, which I think yeah. he kind of should, right? Um, on the other hand, I think with the sort of quality of players that Real Madrid have up front... They can kind of force, you know, um, problems out of maybe Pres- uh, Presco, I was going to call him, Presnel Kempembe. Um, I think he's he's not been as sharp this season, and they haven't really gelled that defensive unit. I mean, right now they're losing 3-0 to, to Nantes. Um, <laughs> but, but, yeah, I think what they need to do is I would probably play, like, Bale or... Um, or Rodrigo on the right wing, hope finishes. Give give him a couple of um, give him a couple of games to actually get a rest. Hope Benzema's fit in time, and then I think they actually have a team that's direct enough to kind of get at at PSG rather than you know I don't think you're gonna play through them slowly. You should try get through them quickly. You've kind of got Cruz and Modric. You can kind of control that midfield and then break through to to the guys in behind, but. Uh, I think that's what they do. They don't really have the perfect sort of guy to get in behind quickly. Um, and that's a problem for them. But, yeah, I mean, Bale, Rodrigo, someone... I'd have Vinicius and okay. someone on, on both sides quick on the flanks. Yeah, I'm going to go in another direction, actually. I would take out... Uh, I, I think I've heard this from a few Madrid fans as well. I would play Fede Valverde um, and, and, and get him in. Because I... Yeah, I mean, but play. I wouldn't. I wouldn't sub him in for one of the central midfielders. I would. I would put him in for Asensio and then go with the same rest of the team because I think they need to. Like, I mean, we had sort of different opinions on Paredes and, prob- and Verratti. We had the same opinion, but you can't let those guys get on the ball 150 times in a game. You need to disrupt that. And I think. And I think PSG are going to go with the same approach. The I think they though- like they allowed three shots each around 0.05 xg. Like it was, they allowed nothing. So you're going to need to go in a different direction uh, because PSG are going to see that they were defensively successful in this game, even more so than attacking. And they're going to go with the same thing and they're going to try and control the the second leg. Um, And yeah, I mean, I think you need to disrupt that. And I think if they can get on the ball, I do think they have the quality to create goals. I I think players like Modric and Cruz can get balls in behind. They can break down a defense. I think Vinicius is, I mean, he's been amazing this season from what I've seen. So you're gonna have you're gonna have Kamavinga wake us Miro was because he's he's oh he's, he's suspended banned from the next um game. maybe I don't know I think you would go with I think you'd probably go with all four and you need to Valverde. you need to overload that midfield maybe you even go with something unconventional like having Cruz and Modric behind Kamavinga and Valverde slightly so they can or or have one of them as a man marking guy to man mark Verratti. And then play the other threes in midfield. I'm I'm in favor but I don't know that, I don't know how honest. exactly you would set it up but I I'm do in... think you need more power. Um, more more men, more bodies in that midfield. And then when you win the ball back, you need to have that quick ball available in transition. And I think you have two guys in that midfield who can hit pretty much anyone. I think that's what you would look to leverage and try to get back in this. And then the other thing with PSG is like, okay, they I would back them to score one goal. But then, okay, wait, wait, okay. wait, 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 wait. <laughs> but then, then who Just your Vinicius attack is going to be? Who yeah. your attack is going to be? Yeah, you think because my my problem is is that one doesn't have that speed I get, to get I in get behind, you. and and the other and the other as good as Vinicius is on ball, I still don't I still think he's manageable 
especially for someone know. like Marquinhos in his off I think they've been Real Madrid's thing. probably best two player. I mean, I don't know, but... Absolutely. No, no, I no, just, I don't disagree. I, I agree I th- both of them should start. I just feel like without one of them having Valverde on the right, right? Let's say Kamavinga's playing either eight or... He should probably play eight and then they drop, I don't know, Modric yeah. deeper. Um, or Chris, I don't really mind. Uh, but the thing is then, is that I still feel there's lacks that sort of attacking impetus. And I think, you know, you've got Nardolo yeah. I mean, I get your point. you've got Marquinhos sort of... <laughs> no, no, I'm not saying it won't work. At, at the end of the day, they need to get one goal, and I think they kind of, I think they're fucked. No, I'm still but going with four. Benzema. I'm still going with I Benzema because I think, I think. Oh, well, I mean, I'm, I'm still Benzema. going with both Benzema and Vinicius I, I because don't... I think, I think you need guys who can, who can take that opportunity to just build things in transition. I, I do think even with four midfielders, they're still going to struggle to dominate this game. I really think you just need to, you need to pack it. You need to make it difficult for PSG's midfield, and then you need to. Also, probably double Mark Mbappe, because obviously. And then you need to make it, you need to get in behind quickly and try and take chances to actually get at them in transition, create periods of possession for yourself. And I think Benzema and Vinicius give them the best chance of doing that. Even though I get your point about having someone who can take their fullbacks and their centre-backs to task. Yeah, I think I think I, I agree more with you thinking about, I hadn't considered Valverde um, on the right, it kind of, Thought he slots in either as an eight or as a six in the midfield. Um, and then, but I'm happy with Kamavinga coming in. So I think I'm, I like your idea. Just the only problem is, is that I do fear that I don't think that that's enough. Yeah, it's not I mean, I don't think they have enough. Play playing Benzema and Vinicius because of course you do. But I think they need someone more to actually put pressure on that PSG defense because when you put pressure on that defense. It has shown in the past that it, it struggles more. I think when they've got two main people to worry about, they're not going to be worried about about Valverde. Yeah, I mean, know, I, I, I no, I get your point. I get your point. Runs. I think like, I, I think ultimately PSG have too much for them, and I think they should have put the tie away with that messy penalty. But ultimately, it's still on. I do think one thing Real Madrid will have to take from this is that since away goals are gone, PSG can't just score one goal and be done with it. Um, but I mean, actually, I don't. Yeah, think... I think I think they're not done. I mean, I I don't think I don't think I don't think they're done, but I think I would back PSG to get this done based on how they played, how the two teams played in the first leg. I I don't don't take me to task for that because weird things happen in the Champions League. But I think I think ultimately, with Real Madrid, you just have to look to fix what they did wrong in the first leg, and that's how I'd look to do it. But we but we have to move on. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, let's move on. (laughs) So. We'll be back. We want to chat Wednesday's games. We still got Inter versus Liverpool and Salzburg versus Bayern. Stay tuned and enjoy this break. Welcome back to the Football for 90 podcast. Alex and I have resolved our issues on Real Madrid and why I'm right, but uh, <laughs> we're going to get on to the next section here with Inter versus Liverpool. Alex, I thought this was the most even game of the four, really. I, I mean, I, I think for anyone who hasn't been watching Serie A this season, I haven't watched that much, but I've caught enough of Inter to know that they're a really good team, and I think it showed for large stretches of this game. What do you think? I think, firstly, I mean, I, I did agree you're right. I think... We're going back to the Real Madrid match. I did agree you're right. Um, I'll admit to that. I was a bit embarrassed to not think of Fede as an option. And then, I don't know, you know, you're on camera. You don't know. Do you argue a point? 
Uh, but yeah, I think I. No, I think no. I Mo Camera plays for Salzburg. You're not on camera yet. <laughs> we'll get to him later. Um, but yeah, I think I think I do agree. I still think the same sort of issues, but I think I I do concede to Aaron's wisdom on that. Um, and he has enough of you know his followers hating him anyway, so it'll be it'll be all good. Um, in terms of his <laughs> ego being kept kept down. So yeah, I think in terms of moving on to the next match, which was probably along with the Real Madrid, my favorite match. Um, yeah, I think I agree it was very, very, very even. Um, I will say I think the entire, most of the match, except for about a 20-minute period after half time, um, I think Liverpool had it in control. They weren't particularly yeah. threatened. But I wouldn't say that that paints what Inter did badly at all, because I actually think... Apart from their attack, I think they played very, very well in the first half. Um, and then obviously they had that 20-minute period. But I think even from the beginning, they were breaking Liverpool's press very, very, very well. Um, you know, with a lot of what you would call, a lot of people would call that sort of risky play right from, right from you know, your, your centre-backs. I mean, and it's not that easy to do against Liverpool as an Arsenal fan. Seeing what they did to us earlier this season, I would know. Um, but yeah, they, they played through them very well. I think they had lots of, you know, they, they created a lot of really nice progressions up. They used, they used Bastoni really interestingly, really fun. I think that's how he normally plays, but it was just interesting how effective he was coming up high. Um, I like, I think that the midfield broke through Liverpool's midfield quite easily. It's worth saying that I don't think it was the strongest Liverpool midfield that they'll ever have. And it showed when they brought in Cater and stuff in the second half. They sort of handled them a bit better. But yeah, I think my only issue is when it sort of got to the attack, I wasn't that impressed by Lataro that match. Um, I tend to never be that impressed with him. I know he's good. I can just never really buy that whole... into the whole hype of him. And I thought Jekko... Yeah, he just didn't have the, that sort of pace to be as threatening as I think he could have been. Um, but yeah, sorry, I've been hugging it. What, are you, what were your thoughts? No, I mean, I, I think you make some good points. I'm not going to comment on the Lautaro comments because I think I think that could, I think that's going to be a whole thing. But um, Let's make it all I thing. thought <laughs> no, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. We already had our whole thing of the day. Um, I, th- I think um, I, I think Inter had some interesting patterns in build up, which is one one of the things he said. I I found it I found it sort of cool that Handanovic was actually used as like a member of the back three in possession. So yeah. from goal kicks especially, they were actually moving one of the center backs to the wing, and then Bastogne using. Generally. Yeah, so I mean, I, I I even saw Skriniar do it a few times, which I thought okay. was interesting. It was like this like tall guy, like <laughs> not not someone you'd associate with like a dynamic fullback on the wing, and then Dumfries <laughs> making runs like all kinds of places. But yeah, I thought they had some interesting build up patterns. I thought for large parts of, parts of that match, the pressing from both teams was pretty cool. Like. I think they made it difficult for each other in build-up. There was one play where Allison like, had to flick it really, really dangerously to, to Kanate, and I thought he did really well, but my heart was in my mouth. I mean, yeah, I, I, I and for that reason, it felt like it was even for large parts of the match. I mean, um, there wasn't even a shot on target, I think, for the first hour. I think there were three shots on target the whole game, and two of them were Liverpool's goals. Um, but yeah, overall, I agree with your assessment that Liverpool were just that much better throughout the match. And I think it showed in the end. I think they gave Inter a little bit too much to deal with on a couple of, uh, on a couple of contested crosses. And, and that was, yeah, I think, I think I want to add that. I think 
for me, the big difference is as good as, and I, Defray was concussed, I think we should also point out for like, what, from 20 minutes? I think it was a bit shocking that he stayed on for so long. Um, yeah. And that obviously, I think, contributed to how much they struggled with more direct balls um, hitting hitting their, yeah, their, their back line. But I think that was a clear difference where just Liverpool were a lot more threatening and also Liverpool are a team that loves to play direct balls. Um, but yeah, every time they sort of played a direct ball, I think the centre-backs really struggled. I also do think... Um, I mean, sure, it was a really good flick from um, Firmino for for their for their goal, uh, the first goal from the corner. But Bastoni should have been yep. on him. Um, yep. I'm not. I'm not entirely sure. I understand the logic of why they don't have men at their near posts. I haven't really looked into that enough. But yeah, I don't know yeah. either. But I it think... felt it felt like Bastoni was supposed to be there. I don't think it was like a deliberate thing. I think he was supposed to follow Firmino out and beat him to the header. But, I mean, I, I think that could be no, also no, no. pretty... No, 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 100%. That could be oversimplified. But they so. don't have men on their posts. I mean, not not in terms of near post areas. That was Bastoni's man and he missed and he didn't get to him. But I'm saying they didn't oh, even I have see. someone on the post that they scored, which was interesting. You don't normally see that. Yeah, uh, that is weird. I didn't think of that. Well, you should have, but I guess we're here now. And <laughs> No, but that was just something I noted. Um, and I think... Against Liverpool, that are a good team from those sort of... They've got good delivery. They've got... I mean, Firmino's great with his head. They've got Van Dijk. They've got Kanate. You know, they've got big players. Um, and then they've got Trent sending the balls in. So, yeah, I thought that was interesting. I thought that was a clear sort of weakness. And, yeah, I mean, I think that's ultimately what was the difference between, between the sides. Both times, the first one was the Firmino goal we've been speaking about. The, the second one was just they, the whole back line sort of struggled to deal with a direct ball sent into the box, I forget from whom. Um, and then, you know, Salah, Salah put it home, uh, loose ball home. So I think that was the clear difference. And also why I just don't think that that Inter are even going to be a factor when they come into, when they come into, uh, when they come to Anfield, because I think it's Anfield one, but more so I think Klopp, sees that weakness and how exploitable it is. So, yeah, well, I mean, so one thing with the Wiggles is now they have to win by three, which is, which is kind well, of Well, they difficult. have to score two. I mean, they have to score two and not concede. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of debate around the away goals sort of cha- rule change at the moment. Basically, the summary for anyone who doesn't know is that it's gone. Um, and now to win a game over 180 minutes, two legs, you have to score more goals than the opposition, which to me seems like uh, kind of normalizing it a little bit. I think there's a, uh, I think people are a little bit upset about it, but I'm, I, I don't know. It, but anyway, long story short, I think it makes it harder for Inter in this, in this specific case, because I think they have to, they really do have to come out and attack and they can't just win three, one or four or four, two. They have to go the full distance and win by three or take it to penalties, which is very difficult at Anfield. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure how much, maybe I'm just being stupid, but I'm not sure how much it really affects them now because, what, they're too down. But, I mean, I, on that topic, I think it's an interesting one. Um, I don't really have a clear stance on the away goals sort of thing because I want to see how it plays out. But I think there's been so much doom and gloom about it, especially, like, what I've seen on Twitter, people saying, oh, it's just so stupid. I don't think it affected how I watched, I, my enjoyment, at least, of, of any of the matches that that we, no. that we watched. I mean, I thought... 
you know, I think people kind of speak about now there's so much less incentive for the away side to score, which we saw in the Real Madrid match for sure. But I mean, at the same time, there's more incentive for the home side, you know, to kind of to be the better team on Attack. their home ground. Yeah. yeah. And I, I, yeah, I pretty much agree with that. Yeah, and then I think the other aspect is um, I just I like the fact that it might it might end up with underdog teams sort of coming through more, which I think is good for the competition. It redistributes the incentive as opposed to changing the incentive. Like I think before there was more incentive to score away from home, and more incentive to defend better at home. Um, and now I think it's just equal. It doesn't matter whether you're home or away. You 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 should have an equal balance towards scoring and conceding goals or or whatever the initial balance is that that you normally have for a cup game. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I I'm welcome to. I think in certain scenarios it comes into play. For example, um, in, in certain in certain uh, in certain ties in previous years, a, a team would score an away goal very early in the tie against the odds and then completely park it. Or on the other hand. It doesn't create those sort of gaps in the second leg where teams desperately have to score because the game is level but skewed on away goals. So if you don't score, you're out. So I think there are certain scenarios where it changes the rules of the game, but I don't think on the aggregate it makes it more or less competitive uh, in terms of trying to score goals. At least that's my opinion. But but my the second thing I wanted to say was that but let, let's move on. Uh, I think my main point with my main point with the away goals is I I think we don't actually know what it's going to be like yet. Um, I'm, and I think yeah, I don't think it's ruined my experience of anything yet. I think I've really enjoyed every match from a tactical point of view. So I think that demon glimpse a bit premature. Um, but yeah, back yeah. to back to the inter match. Um, I still want to know why why or your thoughts on Latara. But before that, I think yeah, what do you kind of see the chances of them going if them coming back? to to Anfield any sort of chances of them going through I don't know I don't know I I I'm never gonna rule it out because like I said weird things happen in the Champions League but a two goal lead for Liverpool whom in my opinion right now are at Top least three. the second best team in the world oh wow like I I I mean I it's tough like I I really think Liverpool are playing at and and I mean those subs were such a power move like to be able to just bring on like Luis Diaz and 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 Firmino is is amazing and it shows the financial power of Premier League teams because Liverpool are probably like the fourth richest team in the Premier League and they just brought on subs that, to end all subs. So I mean yeah, yeah like they're just they like they they just have so much power. <laughs> they they just have so much power. It's going to be hard to it's going to be hard to create a two goal advantage against them in any game, let alone at Anfield. Um but I mean you never rule it out. But yeah, with that I think we I think we got to move on. There uh there were a couple of there are a couple more talking points there by by we're man. <laughs> this section really got me. Okay. No, we still have two more minutes. <laughs> Okay, what, um, what were the questions? We... No, 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 it's fine. We cut out the away goal section. Last, my last question for you for the Inter-Liverpool game is were there any standout performances in your opinion that, that you wanted to talk about? Um, I think Perisic was great. Um, 
Yeah. Oh, actually, yeah, I want to talk about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good point. So, so I thought Perisic's performance was very interesting. <laughs> I mean, I know he's been playing left wing back for a while, and I tweeted about this, but I want to bring it up again because it's cool. I think his, I think his performance kind of shows the changing nature of how we view fullbacks and wingbacks because he, he had this like he was using both feet, which you don't really associate that as a skill you want in a wingback. You want them to go wide, but he was really he's really good at going two ways that's his famous thing he can cross with his left or cut in on his right and either cross or shoot and he really used it to his advantage and and made things difficult for Trent which I thought was really interesting yeah I mean I think one thing I wanted to kind of bring up is I thought I mean I know he's a he's a analytics favorite and I I rate him very highly I think he is pretty much already probably the best ever um the best ever right back of the Premier League right Premier League history but I think that game did kind of show where Trent falls short sometimes. I think he's good defensively, but I think at times tracking his markers, he can I don't think really... he's that good defensively. No, I think but he, he's fine when it's... I will caveat this. Well, let, let, you know, you keep wanting to not disagree. I think he's fine when it's... When he actually has to press players from the front, right? But when he has to track markers, yeah. he's he's really bad. And I think he caused a lot of problems in that in that 20-minute spell for... For Inter, where they were dominant, he was just letting Perisic kind of run free. Um, and who was there? Even Bastoni, he wasn't, he wasn't getting close to Bastoni. He was letting him go past him. It, was, it, was, it wasn't good, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it might be an interesting point for, like, the inclusion of Harvey Elliott versus Jordan Henderson. Because, yeah, the whole right I side mean, was weak. I think Casala, Elliott's great. The Casalo yeah. also, yeah. I think I tweeted that the whole right side was weak. Um, but yeah, sorry. I mean, I thought I think Elliot's a fantastic young player. Like, I think he's amazing. But as much as I think he would offer more than Henderson in the final third at his best, I do think it might be interesting to look at whether Henderson is better at protecting uh, protecting Trent on that side and offering that extra platform. Um, and Henderson was great when he came on as well. So was he, was it Henderson that played on the right? I'm trying to remember now. When when Henderson when didn't was... start the game. Sorry. Um, no, 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 no. I'm talking about when the subs came on. It was Nabi, Kate and Henderson, right? No. No, I think Henderson played at the base. I think he replaced... So Fabinho. then it was Nabi on the right. And then immediately a, yes. a lot a lot improved um, from that yeah. moment onwards. Yeah, that could yeah. just be fresh legs, though. I, but, but, but my point nah. was more that when Henderson plays, he protects Trent on the right side. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I think Nabi did the same. But yeah, um, I'm, I'm ready to move on to the best, you know, the super, the super match. Of the two best teams, so yeah, shall we? Yeah, I mean, this is <laughs> the final match of the of the Champions League week. Um, the match featuring whom Alex thinks is the best team in the world for sure, Salzburg. Uh, <laughs> Alex, what were your thoughts on Salzburg's amazing performance to catch a one-one draw and take this back to a second leg and force Bayern to really go for it? So I, I just want to say I remember. Both, I can't even remember who they were. Oh, it was with Sevilla. I remember both Aaron and and um, Mikey laughing at me when oh, I said no. when I said Liverpool when I said not Liverpool when I said Salzburg would go through over over Sevilla was it? Um, but yeah, yeah. We also said now. Wolfsburg would go through and Lille went through. So one two. <laughs> you know, what's one out of three? It's not too bad. Um, but yeah, so I think I think what we saw. I thought I thought this was. This was the most interesting tactical match for me. Um, I mean, Yasso, Matthias Yasso kind of did exactly what I would have expected with the Salzburg side. Um, although there were some sort of interesting variations um, that, they, that he kind of did with his back line. 
Um, I haven't watched much Bayern this season. I thought they were very, very interesting with just how narrow they played. And they basically played Sané as a sort of a, an eight. Um, which... Yeah, it was not how they usually play, from what I've seen of Bayern. I mean, I'm not, okay, I'm not an expert on Bayern, I will admit. But I think what happened is injuries forced their hand. So yeah, Bayern's the big team. Alfonso I Davies is the, is the big absence, in my opinion. I mean, yeah. I'm not biased at all, but Alfonso Davies is the big absence. And then uh, Neuer was also out, which is important. And, and so was Goretzka. And they went with what I would describe as a 3-2-4-1 formation, it which is going to sound weird because you've never, no one has ever played that ever before in the Champions League. That's probably wrong, but you get my point. Um, and <laughs> they basically went with only three, the three center backs in build up, and the wingers were wingers in build up, which I thought was kind of weird in the first two but phases. You know, like you know it, made, also it made did. it feel disjointed. It was also it was also very um, asymmetric because when they kind of got to that second phase in the build up, what you had is you had Tolisso, who was one of the two central midfielders. Um, he he yeah. became like the left wing back. And he he was just there to facilitate play. Yeah. And then yeah. And then it was it was um. I can't even remember. Oh, it was Sane kind of dropping into the right, or it was Muller dropping into that sort of uh, into the left. Sorry, into the left half of the base. But when they moved to the other side, um, it, Kimmich wasn't moving, wasn't becoming the right wing back. And you, I kind of thought when I when I saw that first, because I first noticed it with, with um, Talisa, I thought okay, that would kind of make sense because. You know, maybe they want to use Kimmich as sort of the right wing back to get like overlaps or something, but it hasn't happened yet. But no, it was actually it was actually Nabri becoming the sort of right bank, and even even Muller at times later in the match. So, so it was a very interesting sort of thing where they worked like differently with either side, and I'm not sure how much that had to do with maybe a change that I didn't really notice. But but I thought it was an interesting. I mean, the whole the whole way they played was very very interesting throughout. Um, yeah. Another thing. Well, I mean, I, I think. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, I was going to get into another point. Go for it. Yeah, no, I was going to say, I think the clear advantage of the four, the three, two, four, one shape was, and I mean, I, I'm definitely oversimplifying here because Nagelsmann's a, another big brain, but I think what you basically had was horizontally the five zones in the final third were covered, right? Yeah, sure. So you had Komen and uh, Nabri in the wide areas, Lewandowski in the middle, and then Sané and Muller in the half spaces. So I think once they got to the final third, it really forced Salzburg to stretch across the line, which is fair enough. But the, no, but I just the, don't I just don't think like it was worth it for being one that open in transition. And two, I don't really think it suited their players. Like I don't think Sané is suited to playing in that half space. I think he he's very much like a wide winger. I think we've learned that about him this season, and to see him in like a number ten role was was strange to me. I think I want to say one thing is that in the first half it changed in the second half, and I think it was a very obvious thing that needed to change. But the first half they didn't play wide at all, because that's also what I thought that would make sense. You know, that's why they they're stuffing. But those guys played all very very narrow, and interesting. What is that? Also, Yasel was kind of prepared for that because I don't know if you saw, but the way they used that sort of staggered lines. And, and Salzburg did this brilliantly. That's why they were able to keep such quality. I mean, you've got Nabri, you've got um, Sane, you've got Muller, you've got who's the, who's, uh, Coman, who was actually the best one all game. Um, yeah. You've got that sort of quality against a lot of young guys. And I mean, like Ulmer, who, who, who had a good game. Um, but I think it was very interesting just the way they created that sort of staggered lines to get that vertical advantage. Um it, and then, you know, how quickly they sort of 
I thought it was something clearly very, very prepared for what uh, Bayern were going to do. That's why I was wondering if they'd done that before. Uh, I have, I've literally watched them like once before this. What, Bayern? Yeah, I haven't watched uh, Bayern have played the 3-2-4-1 a couple of times now, I think. I haven't caught any of the games where they played yeah. it, so I don't know if the configuration on the pitch is the same. I, I, think the, I think the sort of crux of it is Alfonso Davies, in would my made- opinion would have made it if he was there they play a back four and they play much better and, and i dominate i think I, mean, I think you see that in the second half they played much wider suddenly they were making the the salzburg guys work for it and tire that's kind of how they scored the goal right um in the first half it was too comfortable for them they stayed very tight they managed to win the ball very quickly i mean we were speaking about mohammed kamara he was amazing um the whole game until yeah he, he maybe was a great. bit loose with his passing at, at times but he was he was really good I think I completely agree. I mean, if, I think if they had if they had um, Fonzo from the beginning, it would have been a completely different game. Um, but yeah, I feel like I've taken yeah. up too much speaking. You go for it. No, no, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> I, I think I think um, I, I think what I'm trying to go for is one. I don't know if this is a good indicator of how Bayern will perform in the Champions League if yeah. they can get through this tie because I think they're missing a lot of key players who would help them in specifically the ways they were weak in this game. One, in my opinion, build up in wide areas. Two, defensive transitions. Like, Davies's pace is a big reason why they can play a high line. Neuer's recovery um, behind, the, behind the high line is a big reason why they can play a high line. And Goretzka is a monster in the middle of the park. And I didn't think Talisa was bad, but I don't think he lived up to that. And uh, yeah. I think those are big reasons why Bayern didn't look that good in this game. And if they have enough to get through Salzburg, which, I mean, I thought Salzburg were good, um, but I don't think they they get a draw every time that game is played. Like, I do think Bayern, Bayern created more than them over the course I don't of the think match, which you expect. They, they but, did, they did, they did. I mean, but I mean, I think if you speak about it playing 10 times, it's also a big part of it is that I think Yassel Salzburg had, scored early. No, no, no. I think Yassel had had Nachelsmann tactically until halftime, and then and then things changed for the better. So I think... Yeah, maybe. I think, yeah. You know, you speak about it 10 times, it's not like... Next game, Nachlesmann will be more prepared, but I think, yeah, you have to you have to really credit that. I don't think Salzburg was second. I just mean to... based on the chances that were created. I think Bayern win that game, even in spite of their absences. A lot of a lot of the time. For, for sure, for sure, um, definitely, definitely from the second half onwards. But I think Salzburg, yeah, I think they they played a really really good game in the first half. Um, Adamu came on. Um, yeah, scored his first Champions League goal against Bayern. Doesn't. It's not too shabby. Um, All right. Talk uh, to me about individual performances then. Because <laughs> I, I think... I saw you tweet... Uh, so first of all, you've mentioned Adamu a couple times. I know you want to talk about him. And I and I also saw you tweet this morning about Brendan Aronson, knowing full well you were watching the game when you tweeted about <laughs> it. So I thought his assist was amazing, by the way. So, so yeah. favorite so no. Top three favorite Salzburg performers. Because I know they're like your children. So top three favorite Salzburg performers. So uh, I, w- I wouldn't say why. Adamu actually is. I just it's a it's a nice thing to see because I think he like, it was last year that he was playing or maybe end of twenty twenty that he was playing um under nineteen for Salzburg under nineteen. So it's just it's nice to see him and Suchic who came on um off the bench, you know, progress through. I said uh, pick three. Okay, yeah, yeah. All right. So number <laughs> number number one, number one, Kamara. Absolutely, I think he was man of the match. Um, yeah, yeah just his his ability to. To suss out what was happening, especially when they played that sort of staggered line thing, he was he was the big guy like stopping some of these top footballers 
immediately. Um, only problem was, I think uh, part of it was just how tired he was at the end, is that there were a lot of stray passes, and I think that's something that he does need to get out of his game to, when he takes it up a step. But he, he's he's ready to move to a bigger team. Um, otherwise, Sole, he, he's actually an ex-Lyon player. Um, I thought he was probably the second the second best player of the match. Um, yeah, he was he was fantastic um, the entire match. He had the better of Lewandowski the entire match. He has a very very good um, ability to kind of like proactively decide when he's going to step up and yeah just act there very coolly. He's also very comfortable on the ball. Um, yeah, a lot of a lot of their balls on the break came from him. And then, yeah, the last one I want to give to Adeyemi, but it wasn't one of his better games. Still a very industrious performance. I'll probably give it to the captain, Ulmer, um, at left-back. He, he had a very good game, especially, I think. He was maybe, alongside Kamara, their best player in the in the second half when when the odds were against them a lot more. So, yeah, th that would be my top three. Um, one old man and then two, two young ones. <laughs> yeah, I totally agree good with that. Though. Um... Brandon's good, though. <laughs> I, I, I like that Adeyemi performance. I, I, I know he's been getting loads of hype, and I haven't really gone to watch him yet. So seeing him in that game, like, I, I, I didn't think he was, like, I'd imagine he's probably a better game, seeing as he's probably netted and, like, been a huge threat to low blocks nah, and stuff like that. but he was amazing. He was amazing. Across the season. But I really like how he leads the line. I, I thought he worked really hard. I thought his positioning to receive and transition is really good. I thought he was really running well. behind well. Good link up. Yeah, I mean, I, I can see why a lot of people are talking about him right now. Um, my last question for you is, I kind of alluded to this earlier. Um, I don't really think this is a great indicator of Bayern as long as they can get through this tie. Um, let's say Bayern go through. I think if Salzburg go through, they'll probably be the underdogs. But let's say Bayern go through. How well do you think they stack up to the rest of the teams? So, yeah, I think, I think unfortunately, I don't think Salzburg are going to have the, are going to win. Away, but we can hope. Um, but yeah, I think Bayern are, are, yeah, I have them up with Liverpool and City as the as the favorites to win it. Um, so yeah, I would I would have them in that sort of top three. I think I'm not really won't distinguish between them and Liverpool. I do think City are the best team to win it. Um, but yeah, I think I think they've got it in the bag essentially um, as much as you can for a Champions League um, campaign. Yeah, I pretty much agree with that. On that note, I think that's all the time we have for today. Um, we're going to try and upload regularly from now on. So now's yeah. the time to subscribe if you haven't yet. New Year, uh, US. If you have a stressful <laughs> or boring week and your solution to that is watching other people argue about whether Real Madrid should start Fede Valverde on the right wing in a 4-3-3 formation or, in the second leg against Paris Saint-Germain. If you want to see Aaron run from a Lataro debates, then tune in here. Yeah, That's also true. <laughs> We have everything. So right. please subscribe. <laughs> Thank you for listening if you're still listening. And have a great one.